Well, good morning, church. Glad you're here this morning. We are in the heartbeat in the very middle of the book of Galatians. If you have your Bible, go and turn there if you'd like to. We'll get to it in just a moment. Galatians chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. But as we launch this journey through the book of Galatians, what we found out early on is that the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of Christians in the area of Galatia. And he's writing them with a lot of different purposes, but the first purpose was to remind them that there's only one gospel. It's the, and he, do, he goes so far as to define the gospel. And here's what he says. Jesus came and he died for our sins to redeem us. That's it. That's what the gospel is. And Paul's reminding these churches who've had other people step into their path and try to teach them. It's not just Jesus. It's Jesus plus something. And Paul says that's absolutely wrong. So Paul defines the gospel. He defends the gospel with his own story. And then he reminds believers in the area of Galatia that it's the gospel message that unites us. It's the very thing that brings us together and makes us one as the body of Christ. And so he's talked about those things. Then in chapter three, he begins to shift gears a little bit. He moves from this idea of no other gospel to this idea of nothing but grace. And Paul begins to talk about things that God has done for us because he loves us, not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, but because he simply just loves us. And one of those things Paul talked about last week was that God made a promise with humanity. In fact, he made it with Abraham, if you remember. God made him a promise, a couple promises. The first one was, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And the second one was that through your descendants is going to come the Messiah, of the world. The Savior of the world is going to come through your lineage, Abraham. What a great promise God made him. And we were reminded last week that this God who loves us and cares about us makes us promises too. There's over 7,000 promises in God's Word. And the thing we were reminded of last week is this, is that promises are all about God's faithfulness to humanity. And we must primarily cling to His promises, not the law. See, promises represent God's faithfulness. The law represents our response and our faithfulness back to him. Nothing but grace. And then today, Paul's going to tackle another topic, one that from the human standpoint, we know a lot about. We can understand it. It kind of resonates with us. But it's a picture that Paul's reminding us that the reason God is doing this for us is not because we earned it, not because we deserved it, but because he simply loves us. Does that seem to be a common theme in the book of Galatians, that we don't earn or work for anything, but it's all about God's grace? Can you say amen to that, church? Amen. I mean, it's a theme over You're like, Doug, you said the same thing last week. I know. It's because Paul said the same thing, right? And so this week, he's going to talk about the idea of adoption. We know a lot about adoption. Let me just a quick question here. Anybody in the room adopted? That's incredible. There's a lot of cool things about adoption, and we won't get into all of them, but as we go through this passage, we're going to see the key of adoption. A, a famous theologian said this about adoption. He defined adoption as this. He says, adoption is an act of God whereby he makes us members of his family through Jesus. The key phrase is act of God. That God on his own initiative decided that when we put our faith in Jesus, that he wanted to adopt us into his family and be part of the family of God. That's what adoption is all about. So if you have Bibles, I want us to look at the idea of adoption found in, in Galatians chapter 4, and I'm going to read the first seven verses. So if you don't mind, stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. This is what the Word of the Lord says, Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. 
And you have to know that he's backing up. He's piggybacking off what we read last week, which we'll go back to in just a minute. He says this, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the day that is set by his father. In the same way, we are also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father, which means what? Daddy. Verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. God, we love you. This is such an amazing passage, Lord. Thank you for the time we have to go through it. May your words communicate through my mouth today, Lord. And may we understand these truths about adoption and may it forever impact, change, and motivate how we live our lives. For it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as we look at this passage, I just want you to there's four truths about adoption that I want to look at. And here's the first one. And to me, really, it's the most important one. Adoption is costly. Now, we understand today's world, if you want to go through the process of adoption, that adoption can be very, very expensive. You go through an adoption agency, you're looking at multiple, multiple, 10, 20, even more, thousands of dollars. It's costly financially. It's costly from a time perspective, the time frame you have to get into and, and to be vetted and to go through the process and then to weigh. I mean, adoption is costly. And we need to understand this morning that the adoption that God is offering us, that he's given us, it's costly. Go back to verse four if you would. Look what he says in verse four. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. There's a phrase there he uses, when the fullness of time had come. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Do you talk like that? Do you go to work and say, when the fullness of time has come, I decided to show up to work today. Is that what you say when you go to work in the morning? You ought to try it. Maybe you give it a shot. Maybe something, you know, maybe it'll be, give your boss a laugh. Maybe he's like a stoic and you want to make him laugh. But there's an interesting phrase, but what it means is at the perfect time in history. That's what it means. Listen, at the perfect time in history, Jesus showed up as a baby in a manger. God had orchestrated all things. And I hope you know this. Maybe you don't know this, but you should know this, that Jesus was the plan from the beginning. Long before the fall ever happened, Jesus was always the plan of God. It wasn't like God woke up one day and go, you know what? Humanity's really kind of irritating me. Sin keeps growing. What am I going to do? I don't know. What am I? Hey, Holy Spirit, what should we do? I don't know. Son, what should we do? No, no, that wasn't the case. Jesus was always the plan. Before the foundation of the world, God's plan was always to send Jesus to redeem humanity. Always. So Paul says, listen, at exactly the perfect time in history, God had orchestrated all the pieces and he put them all together and at the right moment, exactly the perfect time, Jesus showed up as a baby in a manger. At exactly the right moment, the perfect time, Jesus was found himself walking near the Jordan River and John the Baptist is there baptizing people at exactly the right moment, the perfect time. At exactly the perfect time and the right moment in history, Jesus decides to make public his ministry. 
Just at exactly the right moment, the perfect time, Jesus decides to let the world know that, yes, I am the Messiah. I am the Savior of the world. At exactly the precise right moment, exactly the perfect time in history, Jesus is arrested and taken, and he's tried. And exactly the right moment, the perfect time in history, Jesus is hung on a cross where he dies. And exactly the right moment, at the right time, at the perfect moment in history, Jesus leaves the tomb. Amen, church? I want you to know this fullness of time means at exactly the right moment, God orchestrated all these things. A baby in a manger, the, the public ministry, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And why did the Father do all those things? It says here, to redeem us. Jesus came to pay the debt for your sin. Jesus came to pay the debt for my sin. Jesus came to redeem us, to rescue us, to deliver us from our sin nature. Now, here's what I want you to think about for a moment. The Father sent the Son to redeem us. But what a high cost it was. Are you with me in that church? Think about that for a moment. The cost the Father paid so that you and I could be the adopted children of God was the death of a son. Now, listen. We sing about it, we talk about it, you hear me voice it, but can we just sit in that for a moment? Think about this. I don't know about you, but I know the wickedness of my own heart. Do you know the wickedness of your heart? I know that I'm wretched. I know that I have a propensity to rebel against God, not follow God. I know that. But in the middle of my wretchedness, in the middle of my weakness, I need to find the place where I can just set in the fact that God loved me so much that he was willing, willing and ready to let his son be sacrificed so that I could be one of his adopted children. Is that good news this morning? Yes. And you just need to know adoption is costly. And for the father, it cost him his son. Any parents willing to make that sacrifice? But our Heavenly Father was. Second thing I want you to notice is this, that adoption gives us position. Look at me in verse 1 through 5 again. He says, I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the day is set by his father. In the same way, we are also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, or the perfect moment in history, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. That phrase, as sons. See, adoption gives us position. What position does adoption give us? Sonship slash daughtership. You get the point there, right? I mean, we know that's not using scripture, but that's what it's talking about. We are given not just a, a, just a, a offspring of God. We are given sonship and daughtership of the Most High God. Now, what I find interesting is that what Paul does is he compares our status before Jesus to children. Now, this illustration would have gone over big time to the people that were reading this letter. There were Jewish Christians, and then there were Christians that weren't from a Jewish background. They were Gentile Christians. And so both of them would have understood the analogy that Paul's given. Because in the Jewish world, you probably know this, but in the Jewish world, that every little boy, every young boy is under the rule of the father until he's 12 years of age. What happens at 12 years? Well, a couple of things. First of all, he goes through what we call the bar mitzvah, right? 
Second of all, he experiences and participates in his first Sabbath meal as a man. So this idea of becoming a child to a man all happens for a Jewish boy at 12 through the bar mitzvah and through partaking and participating in the first Sabbath. It's a coming of age for them. That's for the Jewish readers. Now, for the Gentile readers, they know something a little bit different. Every boy that was a Gentile was under the reign and rule of their father until they was eight years, 18 years of age. At 18, they were then deemed as men. Didn't matter whether they were men or not. They were deemed as men. And so these people that are listening and reading this letter from Paul, they understood this whole idea of coming of age, the idea of a boy becoming a man, of a child becoming a son. And so here's Paul's point, right? Here it is. When we were called, when we were seen as children, children are no different than slaves. Who's the slave under? Who's the slave's master? The father. Who's the child's master? The father. So if they were viewed as children, they were no different than slaves. But once they were viewed as men, now they were seen as sons and daughters with all rights and responsibility of a son. Now here's why that's important for us. Paul says here that when we, before Christ, that we were like children and we were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. In other words, before we knew Christ, we were enslaved to the ungodliness that surrounds us. Before we knew Christ, we were enslaved to the, 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 the idea and to the notion that we need to live our lives in such a way to gratify the flesh. That's who we were. That's what we were about. But when we said yes to Christ, when we invited Jesus in as the Lord and Savior of our life, just at the right moment, he redeemed us. He saved us. He changed us. And he doesn't call us children anymore. He calls us what? Sons and daughters. Hear me on this, church. Adoption gives you and I position. We aren't a second-class citizen. God doesn't look at us and go, as I said a couple weeks ago, bless their heart. God doesn't do that. God looks at us and sees a son and a daughter, someone who by faith has put their faith in him and trusted him, and he sees them and recognizes them as sons and daughters. Because here's the reality. We are all created by God, amen? amen? But not all are sons and daughters of God. Everyone who's ever lived has been created by Almighty God, but not everyone who's ever lived is a son and a daughter. We gain sonship and daughtership through faith in Jesus, not by works. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's through faith. So if you're a child of God this morning, if you know Jesus, your Lord and Savior, you are a son and daughter of the Most High King. You have position with the Lord. Now, if you're like Doug, here's what I think. Okay, what comes with my position, right? I mean, it's like I'm trying to decide. I have a really spiritual dilemma I'm going through right now. I have cricket internet service, our cell phone service, and I hate it, so I can't go Verizon or AT&T. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to really make a decision here. I, if you have any insight, I would love to know that. But I'm really trying to make a spiritual decision here in my family. So I've been investigating. But every time I go see them, I talk to them, they ask, they give me their deals. You know what I'm talking about? You know, here's what you can do. And so I'm always enamored with, what do I get for being an ATT customer? What do I get for being a Verizon customer, which seems to be a higher bill? But anyway, I keep asking, what do I get for being a member? 
What do you get for sonship? What do you get for being a daughter of the Most High King? Well, if you noticed last week, I didn't spend a lot of time at the end of chapter 3, because this week I wanted to go back to it. So here's what we get through sonship. Go back with me in verse, chapter 3, verse 27. It says this, For as many of you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. In other words, one thing we get as sons and daughters of the Most High God is that we have a new identity. We have been immersed. He used the word baptism here. We have been immersed with him. We identify with him. You remember what Paul said in Galatians 2.20, For I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. See, when you said yes to Christ and you became an adopted daughter or son of God, you have a new identity. You identify with Christ. You're no longer a second-class citizen. In fact, the Bible will never call you a sinner again. In fact, the Bible calls you a saint. I know that's a hard stretch for some of you, but it calls you a saint because we've been redeemed. We've been changed. We have a new identity. We also have a new family. Look at me, verse 28 of chapter 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. There's no male nor female. For you all are what? One in Christ. Listen, there is no distinction in this room. If you're a child of God, we are all part of the same family. There's no one more important than anybody else. There's no one that's invaluable, that's, that's like your value is less than anybody else. We are all needed. We are all one in Christ. We have a new identity. We have a new family. But listen to this. We have a new inheritance. Look at me, verse 29 of chapter 3. And if you are in Christ and you're blown to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now listen to me. What is our inheritance? Eternal life. Eternal life. Not just that we're going to live forever, but eternal life in heaven with our Lord. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I look forward to that. Anybody else like that? Nancy's like, yes, amen, right? I am. The older I get, the more pains I have, the more aches I have, the more conditions I have, the more I'm like, come, Lord Jesus, come, right? Because I long for that moment. So if you think about this, here's what Paul's saying. Yes, adoption is costly, but adoption gives you position as sons and daughters. What do you get for that position? What do you get by, if you put your faith in Jesus, you are a son or daughter of him. What do you get for that? You get a new identity found in him. You have a new family. Listen, you are my family. I've got biological family, but then I got real blood family, and it's not through personal blood, it's through the blood of Christ family, and you are my blood family. We have a new family, and we have, listen, a new inheritance. We will live forever and ever and ever with him in heaven. Let me give you a third thing about adoption. It's costly. It gives us position. I love this. Adoption brings privileges. Look at me in verse 6, what he says. He mentions one privilege in particular that I want to talk about. He says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. What is the greatest privilege that you and I have as sons and daughters of the Most High King? Here's what the greatest privilege is. You ready? Is that we have the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. The greatest privilege that we have as believers, as the adopted children of God, yes, we're going to spend forever with him in heaven, but we have the Holy Spirit in 
inside of us. In fact, the Bible teaches the Holy Spirit is the seal of our sonship. Look at me in 1 Corinthians. It says this in 1 Corinthians. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God <coughs> through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand in signs and Greeks seek wisdom. And the idea is this, is that one of the things the Holy Spirit gives us is the, the seal of our sonship. Because the Holy Spirit is in you, he's a reminder that you belong to him. Have you ever been to a place in your life where you thought this? If I was truly a follower of Christ, I wouldn't do that. Anybody been like that? If I was truly a follower of Christ, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't think that. I wouldn't feel that way. Well, if you said that, here's what you're feeling also. is conviction, right? You feel bad that you have thought, felt, said, and done some things that you shouldn't do. What, what is the conviction a reminder of? The Holy Spirit lives in you. If there's no conviction, there's no Holy Spirit. And the greatest privilege you and I have is the Holy Spirit that lives in us. He is the seal of our sonship. Also, he says here in this verse, in verse 6, let's go back to it. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. God has put his Holy Spirit to guide our hearts. Just a quick question. How many of you would say that your hearts sometimes can be pretty wicked? Some of you are nodding. No, come on, be proud. Be proud of your wickedness, right? Now listen, the beautiful privilege is this, that the spirit in me is the seal of my sonship and your sonship and daughtership. But also the Holy Spirit in me is there to guide me, to direct me, to protect me, to remind me, to show me, to convict me, to comfort me. Are you getting the picture here? God has put his Holy Spirit in our hearts to guide us. Then you pick up also what he said there? He put him in our hearts to do what? So that we might cry out, Abba, Father. Do you know one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to help us build intimacy with our Heavenly Father? One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to remind us of our desperate need to be in relationship with him. And I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life that I cried out to my Heavenly Father, and I cried out, Abba, Father. I cried out, Daddy. Why? Because it seemed like everybody else had abandoned me. Everybody else had walked away. And I need to know that there's a Heavenly Father who loves me and cares for me, and he's there. He says, listen, the greatest privilege we have as believers, as adopted children, is the Holy Spirit is in us. Yes, he's a seal of your sonship. Yes, he's there to guide and protect you. But he's there to help you build intimacy with your Heavenly Father. I talk to people sometimes, and they'll talk about their devotion life. And they'll say things like this. Well, I just feel guilty I don't spend enough time with the Lord. Okay, well, drop the guilt for a moment. What are you really feeling? You're feeling the Holy Spirit nudging you going, you need to spend time with him. You need to spend time with him. He loves you. He cares about you. Guess what? You need to spend time with him. You need to build a relationship with him. He doesn't want to just be known about. He wants to be known. Spend time with him. Right? One more thing as we close. Adoption is costly. Adoption gives us position. Adoption brings privileges. And here's the last one. Adoption makes us heirs. Look at me in verse 7. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Here's what Paul says. We are not slaves, but we're sons. Do anybody remember the story of the prodigal son? 
You had two sons. One stayed home. One said, hey, dad, basically I hate you. Give me all that belongs to me, and I'm going to leave. And so he gives him. This is a parable that Jesus told. And so basically he gives him all this stuff, and the prodigal son runs away, and he squanders. He gives up a palace for a pig pen. I mean, he just does all kinds of things. He loses money. He loses everything. It gets so bad that eventually he's even coveting the food the pigs are eating. I've been hungry, but I've never been that hungry. How about you? That's how hungry he was. And he decides to go back to the father. But here's his pitch. You ready? I'm going to go back to my father, but I'm going to say, Dad, treat me like a slave. Treat me like one of your hired hands. Treat me as insignificant like they are. I don't deserve to be your son. I just got to have a hot meal. I just need a roof over my head. So treat me like a slave. Take care of me like a hireling. I don't care, but let me come home. And when the son comes home, what does the father do? He runs to him and he kisses him on the cheek. He puts a robe on him and throws a feast because he says, once my son was lost, but now he is what? Found. He doesn't treat him like a slave. He treats him like a son. Why? Because he is a son. And I'm just saying this morning, Paul says, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're no longer a slave to sin. You are a son and daughter of God. And if a son, we are heirs. Now, here's what I love about Paul's, I'm a linear thinker, if you haven't ever figured that out about me. I think in a straight line. I like flow and rhythm. And when I read through the book of Galatians, there's such a beautiful rhythm to what Paul says. Paul, first of all, talks about how we are, how we are set free from the bondage of slavery of sin. And then he talks about how now we're adopted children of God. But not only are we adopted, we have an inheritance. Which means this, if we're heirs of God. If God is, if we, if we have an inheritance of God, what is our inheritance? So the Bible teaches that everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you and I. Now, if I went over here and said, hey, Aaron, Lydia and Marty, I got this amazing chocolate pie, meringue, graham cracker crust. Y'all like that? If not, repent. Okay, so anyway... <laughs> If I said, hey, I'm going to give you this whole pie, you know what those three guys would do? They would sit down, hopefully, they would sit down and they would divide it into thirds. Why do I get thirds? Because there's three of them, right? So they would equally divide it into thirds and they would, would you share the pie with them, Marty? Okay, so when we think about inheritance, we think, no, I just get a part of what Jesus has. That's not what the word means at all. Inheritance means that everything that belongs to him belongs to us fully. We're not getting a portion of it like math. It all belongs to us. That's why the Bible teaches that during the thousand-year reign of Christ, it says we will reign and rule with him. That as he comes back and reigns and rules, that that's part of our inheritance too. So everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to us as well. And here's what I want us to know though, that everything that Jesus inherits by divine right, because he is God, we inherit by divine grace. Did you get that? Would you agree that Jesus deserves everything he gets? He's God, isn't he? He's the Savior of the world, sinless, perfect. He earned everything by divine right. We get it by divine grace. See, it's not in God's life. It's almost like God said, it's not enough that I want to redeem you and rescue you. I want to adopt you into my family as part of my family, and I'm going to give you the inheritance, the same inheritance I gave my son. Why? Because I love you. I love you. And I care about you.
And I want you to know that I'm going to treat you just like I treat my own son. Here's the best part, though. Look at the last line of verse 7. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This through God is a really interesting Greek phrase because here's what it means. It means that God is the giver. The Lord is the giver of our inheritance, but he also is our inheritance. Let me say it again. The Lord is the giver of our inheritance, but he is our inheritance, meaning he's the one that gives us eternal life. He's the one that gives the hope of heaven, but he is also is our inheritance. We get to spend forever and ever and ever and ever and ever in the presence of of our Lord. Not only the one who gives our inheritance, but Jesus is our inheritance. That when we leave from this life as a believer, the first face we'll see is who? It is King Jesus, and we will spend forever with him. That's some good news, isn't it, church? He is our inheritance. He's not only the giver of it, he's the object of it as well. Because we are adopted children of God, we are given a new identity. Because we're adopted children of God, we have a father who loves us. And because we are adopted child of God, we will inherit all things. I have a friend of mine, his name is Jeff. And Jeff and his wife, Diana, she grew up in foster care system. So when their kids got grown and moved off, they decided to foster some kids. And they have six kids they were fostering at the same time. And they adopted all six of them. It's been a really interesting journey to talk to him about how it's gone. And some of you are like, he was crazy. Well, he may be. But anyway, he adopted all six of them. And one thing I talked to him about was this. He's like, you know what? When we adopted the children, it was really fascinating because on one hand, there's a death that happens. On the other hand, there's a new identity that comes. Here's what I mean. When a child is legally adopted, their previous last name ceases to exist for them. They now have a new last name. They now have a new identity. Like for all six of those kids, their previous name is gone. Now they're all Stanley. That's their last name. Every single one of them has a new identity. And I want you to know this morning, the moment you put your faith in Christ, you are adopted in the family of God. You have a new identity. We have a heavenly father who loves us and cares for us, who we can cry out and call daddy. And we have an inheritance that's waiting for us, that's better than your 401k. It's better than your portfolio. It's the best because he's not only the one we get to spend eternity in heaven with, but we get to spend eternity in the presence of him for all ever and ever and ever. So if you're a follower of Jesus today, can I just encourage you with this? Should we celebrate a little bit today? If we're following Jesus, should we take a moment and sit in the fact and celebrate the cost that Jesus is willing to pay so that we can be part of the family of God? Should we take some moments and celebrate that God has given us a position, not of a second-class citizen like a slave, but he's given us a position of a son and daughter? Should we celebrate for a moment that he's given us these privilege of the Holy Spirit that lives in us to guide us and to direct us? Should we celebrate this morning because we have an inheritance? that this world can't imagine. If you're a believer today, here's my prayer, is that when this would stir something in you, that maybe you could just set in the fact of what Jesus has done. Maybe you could just ponder for a moment, he really paid that price because he loves me that much? Yes. He really gave me a position that I didn't deserve because he loves me? Yes. 
He really put his spirit in me that I couldn't earn, but because he loves me? Yes. Did he really give me an inheritance that, that's not only eternity in heaven, but eternity with him forever? Yes, because he loves you. And if you're a believer, that should fire you up. And if you're a believer, that should compel you to live differently. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, listen to this. The Bible is very clear. We are either a son of God or daughter or an enemy of God. You can't be both. You either know him and are son or daughter, or you don't know him, and the Bible calls you an enemy of God. But here's the beautiful news of this, is that the invitation is open to you. The invitation to think about what he's done for you, that he sent his son to this world to die on a cross, that if you put your faith in him, you can be a son or daughter of the Most High King. And if you want to do that today, I would love to encourage you to do that. Let's right now, everybody close your eyes, bow your, head, and, and, <laughs> bow your heads and close your eyes, and let's all stand together. Let's stand together this morning. Lord, I love you. And I thank you for this passage. God, and I just pray as, as believers today that we would just walk away, may, maybe, Lord, overwhelmed this morning that you've adopted us. See, God, one of the cool things about adoption I didn't really get to talk about today is that adoption is about a choice. When a parent's adopted children, they get to choose, yes, I want that child, or no, I don't. And God, the same thing's true for you. You chose us. You knew our flaws. You knew our sinfulness. You knew our heart toward rebellion. But yet you chose us through the person and the work of your son, Jesus. That for any of us who put our faith in him and call him Savior and Lord, we become your adopted children, sons and daughters. God, I thank you for that. God, I thank you for the cost that you were willing to pay and your son was willing to pay so that I could be part of your family. I thank you that when you accepted me as your adopted son, Lord, it wasn't as a second-class citizen, but it was as if you, I was your only son. You, you, you adopted me as if I matter as much as anybody else. I thank you, Lord, that as you adopted me, you put your spirit in me to guide me, to direct me, to remind me how much you love me, and to build a relationship with you. And God, I thank you for the icing on the cake, that because I'm your adopted child, that I have an inheritance that waits for me. Streets of gold, room in a mansion, but most importantly, the throne that Jesus occupies. So God, I pray for believers today. That would just blow us away a little bit. That would just remind us that we're not a slave anymore, but we are sons and daughters. And God, if we are sons and daughters, may we start acting like sons and daughters. Yes, we like all the, the, the rights that come with it. But now it's time to go live out all the responsibilities too. To go live in this world where we love you and love people. And again, I pray for that person today that maybe doesn't know you. That after hearing your heart through Paul this morning, Lord, that maybe they would want to say yes to you. That maybe they'd want to say yes, that they believe that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose again so that he could rescue them from their sins. God, if they want to make that decision today, would you just, 
Would you just help him to pray this prayer and say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've abandoned you and walked away from you. I've rebelled against you. But today, I no longer want to be an enemy. Today, I want to be a son and daughter. Today, I surrender my life to you. I believe you died on the cross and ask you to forgive me my sins, save me, and invade my life today. God, if you give them the courage to say that, and they will, Lord, we know that those who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. God, I pray as sons and daughters, we celebrate today. As those who don't know you, that they would respond to you today. But God, would you work however you see fit this morning, and we'll be faithful to respond accordingly. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for all that you do. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. This morning, if you need to come pray, this altar is open. If you need somebody to pray with you, Jason and Kelly are over there beside the curtain, and Pat and Willie are over here, would love to pray with you. But if you're a believer, and you've been adopted in the family of God, you're not a slave, you're a son and daughter. And I hope that our worship here in a moment reflects the gratitude that is in our hearts. And if you don't know Christ today, I would love to talk to you. As you leave today, just grab my arm and say, Doug, will you just take a moment and share with me what it means to know Jesus? Or if you made that decision a moment ago, let me know so we can celebrate with you. But however the Lord is leading you, let's be faithful to respond to him this morning.